Well, welcome to Redeemer Church. I am Pastor Tim Trometer, one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you are here this morning. We are in our second week of our new series this year, titled A Faith That Works, and we're looking through the book of James for these six weeks as we start the year with the, with the intent of starting this year focusing inwardly on ourselves, um, spiritually speaking, and how we build a faith that works in the real world. The book of James is known by many theologians as a, a book focusing on true religion, that James is trying to create a true religion, a genuine, authentic faith that is a faith that works in the real world, which is something that Wesley, John Wesley, the found, one of the founders of the Methodist movement, was focused on, that, that we should be people that have a faith that actually impacts our lives, not just a faith that is superficial. And so for these six weeks, we're looking at different aspects from James's teaching and how they impact our life and how they impact our life in a significant way. Today we're going to be talking about from the inside out and what that truly means. We're just going to be looking at a portion of this passage from chapter 1 is really an, uh, an, the impact of temptation on our lives and where temptation comes from, the, the source of temptation, the, the force that it has on us and the course that it takes us down um, as, it, as we encounter it in our life. Because temptation leads us to do a lot of funny things. And I'm not just talking about eating a dozen Krispy Kremes. I'm talking about the way that temptation can, can cause us to leave the dinner table with, when our, we're eating with our family. Or, or it can cause us to do things in our work life that we would normally never do. But the temptation has a power over us that actually comes from within us. So we're going to get into that here in just a minute. Let's take a moment to pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be in your presence, to be in worship. God, we ask that you would come into this place to use the words, the music, the scriptures, the stories to, to help us to come to understand all of you or just part of you today. That our faith would be more than words but would be actions that impact our lives and the lives around us. It's in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried to go on a diet or not. I have. Um, but I don't know if you've ever tried to cut out sweets either. But I have. But I was reading about this, uh, this gentleman who went on a diet and cut out all his sugars. Um, and the problem this guy faced, though, was, was that he had to commute to work uh, a little bit of a distance. And he was going on his, on his route. The, the direct route to work took him down past downtown. Similar to our downtown here, there was a really good donut shop. Not that ours is a donut shop. It's more of a coffee shop that sells good donuts. But there was a really good donut shop downtown. And he, he had to go past this place every day on his way to work. And so he's, he's driving to work every day. And every day as he's driving, he's like, he gets closer and closer to downtown. And he's thinking, man, I could really go for a cup of coffee. And a donut. 
But alas, the diet. Alas, the diet. I can't, I can't do it. Still, he got closer and closer to downtown, and, and as he got closer and closer, this inner battle was taking place inside of him. Coffee and donut. Coffee and donut. Donut and coffee. Coffee and donut. Donut and coffee. And then, then it finally occurs to this guy that he should take his pastor's advice and he should pray about these challenges that he faces in his life. And so he does. And as he approaches downtown in the distance, he sees the neon light of the sign, Donuts. Donuts. So he stops at this red light a couple blocks away from the, uh, the, the coffee shop, donut shop. And he, and he lifts up this fervent prayer. Deeply spiritual man. Deeply, deeply spiritual man. He says, Lord, if it is in your divine will for me to stop and get a cup of coffee and a donut, let there be a parking spot open in front of the store. Amen. It was a powerful prayer from the heart of a, of a deeply righteous man. And in the article of this incur- occurrence the, the, that I was reading, um, the, the, the man reported, and this is what he said, and I quote, Sure enough, I found a parking spot right in front of the store on my seventh time around the block. <laughs> Robert Orban said, I quote, Most people want to be delivered from temptation. Most people want to be delivered from temptation, but still want to keep in touch with it. I have found that to be true in most of our lives as well. We want to have, we want to be rid of temptation in our lives. We want to get rid of it. We don't want to be tempted anymore. Yet, we still kind of want to keep it around, don't we? We don't want to be tempted, but we want to keep it around. We want to go on the diet, but we throw out all the junk food in our house. And then we stand outside the grocery store at Kroger and we, we smell the fumes coming off the fast food restaurant just down the street. Just, ah, oh, the french fries. You know they put oil in their exhaust just to have people smell it? They do. We quit smoking. We quit smoking, and when a friend lights up, we stand by them, not because we truly want to talk to them, but just because we want to smell the cigarettes. True. I do this. I do this. Even though I've gotten rid of all of the paraphernalia in my life, just want to smell it. We want to be delivered from the temptation to sin, but we still want to stay in touch with the sin. It's kind of like turning your life around but not wanting to lose your friends. Over and over again, I'm confronted with folks who want to change their life and, because they've experienced Christ in a new way, and, and, and yet they, they know what they need to do, but they don't want to do it. They, they, they know the new direction that they need to go, and they understand the influences around them and how they drag them in the wrong direction or in, in the way they don't need to go, but they don't want to let go. They don't want to let go. They want to hold on to the idea that they can completely change into different people and remain in the same situation at the same time. But that's 
Not possible, really. It's not possible any more than it's possible to stay, to change sides, like at a high school football game. It's not any more possible than to change sides at a high school football game at halftime, but remain in the same bleachers with your old buddies and expect them to understand, accept, and share your newfound allegiance with the opposing team. Could you imagine DeWitt playing St. John's, being on the St. John's home team side, and all of a sudden, you know what? I don't like St. John's anymore. I'm going to root for DeWitt from now on. Okay, all of my old alums from St. John's, let's root for DeWitt together because I'm a changed man. I have now have a changed life, but I'm going to stay in the same situation and expect everyone to understand. It doesn't work that way. In reality, it's not realistic. But that's the temptation. And it's the, it's the temptation that really gets us in a lot of trouble. Um, it's, it's what I like to call trying to have your cake and eat it too. You want both and. The temptation to not have to choose a side or direction when life gets hard. It's the temptation of indecision. Because life gets hard for all of us. James is really clear about this. And yet, when we're amidst a faith-stretching situation, a faith-stretching situation, the last thing we want to hear is, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay in the end. No, we get caught up in the moment. We get frustrated, we get bitter, we get jaded, and it's in these moments of trial and temptation that for many leads to a breaking point of our convictions and we drift away from God as we, as we start to sin. Because sin starts to enter our life. Little by little, temptation grows into this deep-rooted desire within ourselves, which then has the potential to drive us into this dark, dark place in our lives. And this is the warning that James gives us today. And this is where we're going to start today. We're going to begin right where we left off last week. James has talked about finding joy. Finding joy in our trials. And not, being, not letting our loyalty be divided between God and, and anything else. And so we're going to pick up in verse 12 of chapter 1, which says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So first, we need to understand this morning that James is giving us a beatitude. James is giving us a beatitude. Now, a beatitude is a blessing statement in the Bible. And, and normally when we talk about beatitudes, we think of Jesus in the Gospels and the Sermon on the Mount, and he gives all these beatitudes. Um, the, you know, the blessed are the poor, blessed are the, the peacemakers, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, the, the blessed are the statements. Those are beatitudes. And, and we only think about those statements as the beatitudes because that's what all of the Bible's call that section in the Bible, the Beatitudes. And there's a list of them. But actually, there are Beatitudes all throughout the Bible, through the epistles, through the Old Testament, and, and 
they're, they're found primarily in the Old Testament in the Psalms and the Proverbs. And, and what James wants his readers to recognize is that the blessing that God gives after we have, the blessing that God gives comes after we have endured the trial. Comes after enduring the trial. I want you to recall last week when we talked about God's testing in our lives. Because biblically speaking, when we talk about God's testing, we're not talking about this pass-fail assessment. Like, like we have at school, which, which we get confused about because the English language doesn't really encapsulate what the Greek does. Because what James is talking about is a proving situation. It's as though God is proving our sacred value through our response to a giving situation. So when God allows a bad thing to happen in our lives, right? God did not prevent this from happening to me. God allowed it to happen. He didn't make it happen. He allowed it to happen. When God allows a bad thing to happen in our lives, our response to that problem, that situation, is being assessed. And we are being proved. Do we prove to be who we claim to be before God? This is what it means to be tested by God. Do we remain faithful? How do we respond? And at the end of the trial, God cares nothing about our worldly success or failure, for that matter. God only cares about our faithfulness. I used to work with a pastor who told me, Tim, God does not care if you succeed or fail in this endeavor. He only cares if you are faithful to him. And that's stuck with me ever since. After we endure, James says that God is going to bless us with the crown of life. And this is the first of five crown metaphors that James writes about in his entire, um, in his entire letter. And we're not going to talk about all of the crowns in this, in this series, but there are five crown metaphors that James talks about. And this is the first of the five metaphors and the crown of life is a, ref, uh, is a reference to the perfect paradise that we receive as we, as we join with God and Christ and with all of the saints that have come before us and who will come after us. The blessing that James is talking about that we'll receive is paradise. It, it's, it's what we often just call heaven. It's eternity with God. Which brings us to our first point. If, you, if you're taking notes on the message notes page, we need to see the blessing in our testing, the true blessing in the testing. So often we get so caught up in our trials and our situations that our, that our focus becomes solely on survival. But James focuses on something else entirely. He, he is focused on a big picture view of faith, this, this bigger, broader view. And in, uh, and life in the real world, which is what we get caught up in too, because we are people of the real world. We, we don't live in the Pollyanna Christian type of a thing. We, we live in the real world. And when James is talking about the blessing that comes from and during our trials, he is talking about coming out of the trial of our life with spiritual maturity and being gifted with the satisfaction or joy of knowing that on the final day of judgment, 
we have a seat at God's heavenly banquet table that God has built a place for you and for me and for all of us in heaven. This is the blessing that James instructs his readers to focus on. Not the trial. Focus on eternity. Have an eternity mindset. We should be listening to these words too because these words, while, while James may not have been written to us, it was still written for us. Scripture is quite clear. Now this is maybe hard to hear. Scripture is quite clear that every person will one day stand before God and give an account of their life. I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question or two here. Do you think God will be asking you for an account of your life on the days when everything was good and cheerful and merry? When all your bills are paid? When everything was going great? When your family was communicating well? when your work was booming? Or will God want to know how you kept your faith when times got hard? How you leaned into Him when the world pushed you down? James is telling us that in our times of greatest trial, when our faith is stretched and pressed to the limits, that is when we come to understand the foundations of our beliefs. And when we get to that place, we realize that God is not the problem. We are. James goes on to say, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God, why are you doing this to me? God, why did you do this? God, I prayed to you and you didn't fix it. God, it's your fault. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desire, which entices us and drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. I want to say something about Scripture real quick that I read this weekend as I was reading about expounding on Scripture and, and preaching. It, it really struck me. Um, it's not in the sermon, so this is an extra bonus for you. Things that are in the Bible aren't true because they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible because they're true. Do you understand what that means? Things are true not because they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible because they are true. It's a matter of perspective. God is not the problem. This is our second thought this morning, if you're taking notes. We are really quick to blame God for all of our problems in life. Why, God? Why are you doing this to me? As though God is some cosmic deity with a magnifying glass burning ants. But God is not the problem. And, and James is clear that it's not God who causes the temptations that we face in our life. 
Yes, God does allow trials and troubles to happen. And, and at this point in the letter, James, does, James doesn't mention Satan or his cronies at all, which is quite interesting because later in James, he's going to talk about the devil and he's going to talk about um, his minions. But at this point, James is, is talking about a major problem that people face, faced in the first century and face still today, and that is the problem that people are not taking responsibility for their own actions. I believe that's something that still happens today. You might not believe that, but I believe it. James understood that we must take responsibility for our own actions. The temptation is not a God problem, it's a people problem. And to begin, we must come to terms with the source of temptation. The source of temptation. James says, temptation comes from our own desires. Temptation comes from our own desires. Temptation comes from within ourselves. It's something that is manifested from within. When James uses the word desires, though, the Greek word that translates into desires in English, into English also means lust. So James is saying temptation comes from those things that we lust for, those things we desire physically that come from deep within ourselves. This is, this is more than simply desiring to have a clean house or, or to have a new car. Like that's, those are like wants. James is talking about like carnal desire when he's talking about lust. Things that build up inside of us and compound. The sinful lust in our heart that, we're that we suppress and push away so that no one else knows about them. The desires that we keep secret. Because if anyone knew what we really thought, they wouldn't want to be our friends anymore. The desires that we keep secret. We are the source of our own temptations. It does not come from God because God cannot produce evil. And if we're going to stand up against temptation in our lives and endure through our own trials, we must first recognize the source of temptation. Because if we don't, we are playing on thin ice because the force of temptation is strong. The second point is the force of temptation. Temptation has a force all of its own. It has the power to move within us and do crazy things in spontaneous ways. Some people even blame, you know, you know some people even blame criminal activity on the strength of temptation. I couldn't help myself. She was too tempting. Just watch the news. Verse 14 says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Not only does temptation come from within us, but it can entice us persistently, so much so that it can drag us away, not just leading us away from, from where we are going, but drag us, like physically grab you and drag you away. Temptation can grab you and drag you. What does it take to drag you away from something? physically drag you away. If you are wholly focused on something, James says that this internally created temptation entices us and drags us away from the things that we are most, that are most important to us in our lives. 
And that means, as I said, you could be having a family dinner and the force of temptation could be so strong that it could make you get up from the dinner table and leave. And it happens all the time. Families break down because of temptation. The force of temptation is so strong that it can drag you away and it takes you down a course that you most definitely do not want to go down because the course of temptation is the third. So you have you have the source, which is us, the force, which is very strong, and the course of temptation. Verse 15 says that the, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The temptations we face that are birthed out of our own internal desires become alive. That's the course of temptation. They become alive within us. And when that happens, they lead to actions. Temptation can only lie dormant within us for so long until it becomes an action. That's what James needs his readers to hear. They need to be careful. We need to be careful. Because the desires from within our hearts will lead us to places we don't want to go. And they will give birth to sinful actions. And those sins are going to grow. And as they grow, they're going to lead us to our own death. And I'm not, James is not speaking about like a mortal, physical death, like, ah, I'm dead. James is talking about a spiritual death. Because remember, James has already spoken about this crown of life, eternity in paradise. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death, meaning we will no longer have a place at God's table. Temptation leads us to a place, down a path, where we do not experience God throughout eternity. But it's not a one-choice experience that makes us take this course or this path. It's a progression, it's a process of decisions made over time. Because one little temptation, one little thought in our mind doesn't take us to a, a long-term affair or a, or, you know, a something else. We fade into that temptation and drift away from God. And whenever I think about this slow fade that happens, this song comes to mind. So I invite you to listen. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He can never change or cast a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. God gives great gifts, friends. God gives great gifts. We are the source of our own temptation, and it has a force that has great potential to drive us down a course that we do not want to find ourselves going down. But God gives great 
gifts. And so James says, don't be misled. Other translations say, do not deceive yourselves. Or do not let yourself be deceived. Because sometimes we get so caught up in our own heads. We get so caught up in asking the questions. If God doesn't create the trials in our life, but allows them to happen, and if God is not the source of temptation that we face, then what in the world does God do? And James says, do not be misled. Do not deceive yourself. James says, whatever is good and perfect gift, whatever is a good and perfect gift coming down from God, this is what God gives, the perfect gift. He gives the light in the darkness, the hope in the hopelessness, the peace in restlessness, the strength in our weariness. God gives new birth to us through Christ Jesus. New life, new hope, restored life, and healing, every good gift comes from God. So what would it be like to live a life freed from temptation? How much control do your internal desires have on your daily life? And what will happen if you don't deal with the building temptation, that building forth that's with inside you. What course has temptation already led you down? And what would it take for you to endure your temptations this week faithfully? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would be with each and every one of us today as you are every day. Give us the strength that we need to endure the temptations that stem from within ourselves. Guide us as we strive to stand firm in our faith, to trust in you, to have the patient endurance that we need. We thank you for the greatness that is found only in you and for the goodness of the gifts that you have given, all of the blessings that you have poured out. We also thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ, that you sent to die our death, to carry our sins, and to offer us new life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.